Let's go. Let's go. Oh, no. Do you wanna? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party. Don't say sorry. You don't need to do that. You don't need to apologize. It's a fucked up female habit. You don't need to be sorry for anything ever. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I don't have rage issues! I have nothing to prove to you. When I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where one of us is just a little bit older today and definitely <laughs> wiser. Happy birthday, definitely. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. How is your day going? My day has been just lovely. Other other than the fact that New York was almost swept away by the flood, um, I am still here, which we are very grateful for. So is New York, as far as I can tell. Uh, have not been into Manhattan, but, but, you know, hopefully it's still there. Yeah, it's interesting being on the other side of the country and not really understanding the geography and just seeing what's on the news here. It, it seriously looks like New York is underwater and everyone's in danger. And so, so that's not the case. Uh, no, no, I, I don't. I mean, th those are real, that's real footage. And definitely I I've seen some people who live in other areas of Brooklyn and live in Queens um, posting videos of like, their streets etc and it was it was bad in in certain places i happen to live in one of the heights uh in brooklyn and um that means i i think that at one point i i think i looked it up i believe i live in like on like the highest point in brooklyn literally oh. so when it comes to stuff like flooding that's usually not the problem for me <laughs> like if it's but, flooding at your house then there's a real serious problem right I, then I then Manhattan is submerged, to be totally honest. Like oh, wow. if it starts flooding here, Manhattan is no longer there. Max Manhattan is is lower, like in terms of um sea level, right? Manhattan is lower and uh yeah, it sounds like it, it got it got pretty, pretty freaky over there yesterday. Uh, and no one was really expecting it either. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, no weather here. It's a little bit cooler and definitely cloudy, but it's a very nice day here in Southern California. So, well, it's supposed to be gorgeous here tomorrow. It's supposed to be like 75 and sunny. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> well, that sounds like a nice day. Yes. <laughs> well, good. Um, I'm glad that you are doing okay and that you're having a good birthday. Yes, thank you. Thank so, you. I'm old now. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you're wise. And distinguished. I'm wiser. Yes, sure. <laughs> so everyone describes me. Yes. Um, definitely no one ever says anything rude about you, ever. No. <laughs> All right. So uh, it is the last day of September, which means by the time you're listening to this, it will be October. And that means it is spooky movie season. We look Yay. forward to this all year long. And uh, we've got some great stuff coming this month. But uh, we're also kind of, you know, bidding farewell to back to school time. So this week we decided to dive into um, the Criterion collection or the Criterion channel was doing a high school horror collection this month. And so we decided to pick a couple of movies from from that group and talk about them. So it's kind of a nice transition between school movies and the spooky movies. So 
so today we're going to be talking about the 1976 film Murder, no, sorry, Massacre at Central High. We'll also talk about witches with the craft and um, some more slasher fun with I Know What You Did Last Summer. So those are the the movies that we're going to be talking about. But um, before we get into anything specific, Lauren, why do you think that high school is such a perfect setting for horror movies? Because it, it's high school. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, one of the things that we've talked about like throughout this conversation, but also so we've recorded um, bonus episodes on Heathers and on um, the faculty, right? And, and so we've we've talked about it in we've talked about this in, in that context as well that high school is first of all where all of the emotions run very high mm-hmm. um and and also people are dicks <laughs> like <laughs> one of the things even just in watching these three films it's just like on the one hand i'm like this is not exactly my high school experience obviously but also high schoolers it's it's like it's like the hormones or something has just gotten moving so quickly that that people are just assholes to each other <laughs> in ways that you're just like, why? Why are you doing that? What is the point of this? And and I, I do think that it, it kind of lends itself to horror. I think that particularly, definitely with at least one of the films that we're talking about, there is that element of coming of age and of being, you know, again, one of the things we've, we've spoken about about some of the other high school movies we talked about is um, uh, that kind of liminal space between being an adult and being a child, being more grown up, but also not being grown up at all, that kind of, of tension. And that exists in all all three of these films, even though uh, <laughs> even though none of the actors are are high school age particularly. But um that I I also think that there's a little bit of adults projecting. Um, and like remembering their high school experiences as being a lot worse than they actually were. Mm-hmm. And so being like, I hated high school. These were the kinds of people that pissed me off. So I'm going to make a movie about it. Um, yeah. So I think that there's all of that kind of kind of happening. A little what bit of wish can? fulfillment in that. Yeah. Like, oh, I hated that girl. She was so horrible to me. So I'm going to create a character where that girl gets brutally butchered. <laughs> you yeah, know? And, exactly. Yeah. Actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also, of course, uh, we've talked about this a little bit too, where, you know, some, especially early, earlier, like slasher movies and stuff with, um, with movies like Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, there's also a little bit of, of that like cautionary, like don't do sex kids, you know, type of thing too. So we get some of that and, and high school is the right age for that because once you get into college, then, you know, you are, legally an adult if not you know mm-hmm. if not emotionally one well um, and you you do have to say all three of the films that we're talking about are, are directed by men and i believe written by men yeah and and it's interesting because a lot of them are very focused on female characters mm-hmm. um and so i think there's also that kind of exploitation element and the kind of prurient interest in particularly in the first film we're going to talk about women going topless all of a sudden for no particular reason Mm -hmm. um and so there there is that sort of enjoyment of like wanting to to both victimize and and objectify these young bodies basically yeah that's true so let's jump into our first movie massacre at central high i think this was a first time watch for both of us Mm -hmm. um 
I so when the the high school horror selection hit criterion, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta check this out. I've heard about this movie. I heard it was the movie that inspired Heather's, um, and that is definitely the case. You can really see it, but um, I wasn't fully prepared for what I was about to watch. This movie is a little bit wild, um, and so when we were talking about doing this topic, I was like, um. Maybe before we settle on our movies, you should watch it too. <laughs> so I'm glad that you did, because I think this is one that we definitely uh, had some thoughts about. But um, the basic premise of of this movie, which came out in 1976 and was written and directed by um, Renee Dalder. Um, this is about this this guy who is has just transferred to a new high school and uh you know immediately sees who the bullies are and you know sees all the different cliques in the school and um starts doing something about it <laughs> in the uh, simplest terms so lauren what were your thoughts um in general about massacre well, at central high so like both the criterion description and some of the other commentary on this film kind of pushes this idea of it being this political allegory and yeah. half i got halfway through the film and i was just like what the fuck are you people talking about <laughs> and then the film actually does kind of switch tactic a little bit and i think it does go to some really interesting places in this like the second half right but the first half is just bad i mean it's it's not it isn't terribly good acting it's not terribly good directing it's actually terribly um, it's, terrible acting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very, very stilted and yes. very like it reminded me a lot of a, a very different film called uh, I'm certain that people have seen this Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. <laughs> and there's a scene in Deathbed where like a guy's hands get burnt off so that they're just skeleton like fingers. <laughs> and and he's totally nonplussed about it. Totally like, huh. <laughs> oh, that happened. Like, And it's not even shock. It's just like is there no re no reaction at all to to the fact that your hands were just melted off and this film like so much of it reminded me of that like there's this it's just such an odd combination of like oh those people are like dying <laughs> <laughs> and and then like natural reactions some others just like oh that's really horrible but then like the, the people are, like locker a locker just exploded is no one gonna adjust that like no okay yeah teachers don't well, care <laughs> well and i yeah you've got all those those elements like there are almost no adults like there are no teachers featured um no one seems to be in charge of these kids whatsoever all of the kids are in their 20s they like obviously <laughs> um and and yeah, it, it's just, it's very, very odd. And I do I do think that in the second half, it begins to go to interesting places after kind of the destruction of the bullies, right? And then moving into like this, um, I, I think it's an awful stretch to call it a political allegory. It's trying to be one maybe. Yeah. And and it's definitely trying to kind of address certain things that, that are allegorical and about um, violence and about fascism. I, I also have to say that I think it's there's something just very odd about the whole opening where like the guy is going to defend this this dude played by Robert Carradine, 
who's who's being bullied, but he, he's being bullied for like drawing a swastika on a locker. <laughs> and I was sitting there going like, so my whose side am I supposed to be on in this situation? Because I kind of feel like the bullies might have a point here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my my reaction too. It was like, wait, um, even in the 70s, I'm pretty sure that drawing swastikas was not okay and that it was perfectly fine to tell someone meanly don't do that <laughs> don't do yeah it's just like and then the bullies like show themselves to be really bad people right and i'm like so are we on the side of swastika drawing guy is that what we're we're supportive of him okay <laughs> free speech lauren free speech <laughs> it's very that and that that's the thing it's such an it's so hackneyed and so like like it bludgeon it tries to bludgeon you with its point but it's very confused about its own point i think yeah, I just pulled up the the Criterion Channel's um, summary, plot summary, just because I was like, because uh, I, I remember thinking it was when I was watching it, like, that doesn't quite match the summary. Uh, so just so we can be on the same page about what we're talking about here. This is how it is described if you pull up the Criterion Channel to watch this movie. This powerful blend of social commentary and exploitation is one of the premier genre films of the 1970s and a provocative allegory about fascism and power structures in a high school world where adults are absent. When new student David arrives at Central High, he discovers that it is lorded over by a gang of bullies who rule the school through intimidation and violence. David's friend Mark encourages him to join this dominant clique, but instead, David stands up for their victims, and the gang cripples him in retaliation. Soon, oh yeah, we'll talk about that in a second too. Soon, David begins taking steps to end their reign of terror permanently, setting in motion an explosive cycle of killing that may not end until no one is left to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I always take the Criterion descriptions with a grain of salt, especially when they take like an exploitation film from the 1970s mm -hmm. and say something like that about it, because I'm like, is this true? Like, is this let's be honest about what this film actually is here, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and, I do but, think. Sorry. Well, I, I was just gonna say, but the, the, this has gained a great deal of notoriety. Like Roger Eber is like, oh, this is an intelligent film, which I think is, again, question mark there. Roger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's one of those examples where people can find deeper meaning if they're looking for it. You can do that with just about anything. And I think this is one of those examples where people have done it. And it's not, I agree with you. I think that the the writer director, Renee Dalder, I think that that was what he intended. I think he wanted it to be this, this deep social commentary that like really has a lot to say about high school teenage bullying and and you know standing up to them and and standing up for the little guy but i don't think that he does it successfully i think that um mm -hmm. i think that he just because of the um blemishes <laughs> all over this i think that uh, it ends up kind of derailing from his own point and one of like one of the big issues the Sorry. One of the big things that does distract from that is um, wonky acting, questionable reactions to things or no reaction to things um, like it mentions David getting crippled in this accident. And it's like just the way that he's quote unquote crippled is almost embarrassingly bad. It's like mm -hmm. it's it's not depicted well. And so it's like 
because it is this kind of cheesy, really like low budget movie, um, it become it it becomes a distraction from its own point. And yeah. um and so it never I believe, I do believe that he was trying to make something smart. I do not believe that he accomplished it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And it's it's so all over the place. And I think that, you know, so I, I mentioned the whole random nudity, mm-hmm. um, particularly of the female characters. But there's also some like random male nudity going yeah. on there as well. So, you know, props to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but and that that's where it, you know, it, it edges more into the exploitation genre, which. You know, you give you give directors credit for have having to like work within certain parameters and trying to make something interesting out of a genre that is very much you know dependent upon blood and breasts, basically. Right. Um, but that it like also as, as you're saying that also distracts kind of from the actual point. Like, what is what's the point? There's so much of this that feels unintentionally humorous, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like one of those films that has an awareness of its its schlock and you know so i've i've been watching um a number of roger corman films recently and corman corman's films sometimes are like ridiculously schlocky and are sometimes really really well made um but there's an intentionality behind most of his work that like he knows what kind of film he's making at any given moment i don't think this film knows what it's supposed to be i don't think the director knows what kind of film he's making he's trying to do something that seems very intelligent but the script doesn't have that intelligence yeah right it's too heavy-handed on the one hand and then you've got these moments of intention of unintentional humor like where boulders crush people (laughs) Oh my gosh, I was laughing so hard at that. Like, oh no, look out. Well, and it's it's funny. And I'm sitting yeah. there going, like, is this supposed to be funny? But if it's supposed to be funny, then what's the point? Like, what what is the underlying purpose to the humor, right? Because it's not really contributing to the argument that the film appears to be making. Mm-hmm. Um, the shift that I did think had a lot of potential and just never completely followed through on it was, you know, after the destruction of the bullies, um, you get a shift in the social dynamic of the high school. Right. And people beginning to behave like bullies, like the bullies were, because without this kind of overarching control that these, you know, this overarching terror that these guys imposed on the school, they didn't have any particular direction. One of the problems that I had with this is that as the the film went on, I was like, is this an argument for fascism? Because (laughs) it seems like the bullies, as bad as they were, were the ones that were keeping everybody in line and stopping them from becoming even worse. Yeah. And and so it was very like and, you know, the bullies do horrible, horrible things. So I'm like, what is what is your argument here? Like, what's your thesis? I I get the sense like certain movies sometimes the writing for whatever reason isn't coming together when they're in the process of filming it's like well we're trying to get there and so there's this idea where some people are like well we'll find it in the editing room like the movie will come together once we have all the footage and we can start to really cut it uh, cut it into a an actual cohesive film and I kind of felt like that's what they thought they could just do here was like we're just going to 
do a bunch of random stuff and then just see what we can find once we assemble it. And so that's, I think, why it's it's uneven, why it's it's weird. Certain things just just don't flow together at all. And then it tries to do, yeah, this this like com like kind of this commentary. And but because of the fact that it doesn't really know what its own point is, <laughs> it's never able to make one. It's trying to be too many things, so it ends up not being anything. And mm -hmm. whereas, like I had mentioned, this is a film that heavily influenced Heather's, which we did a whole episode on. So I'm not going to like re rehash that or relitigate it. But like Heather's, whether you love it or hate it, it has a clear point of view. And it and it, I think, does a good job of making its point, which is mm -hmm. also not necessarily like trying to champion something. It's very much this is a dark comedy about a dark character who does something that seems to be like what everybody wants like yeah this benefits everyone but also it kind of doesn't and it's very clear about that i don't think mm -hmm. that it i don't think it gets muddled in whether it's trying to turn christian slater into a hero or a villain yeah no not at all it's it's very like you say it's very focused it knows what it's doing mm -hmm. um and and it does have that like kind of middle act shift right yeah. where and it plays with the audience's expectations and it plays with the and it plays with the audience's sympathies which is what i think massacre at central high is trying to do very much mm -hmm. um that you have sympathies for this group of characters and particularly for um david who's played by by daryl Murray, and then there's a shift that happens and you you kind of begin to see things a little bit differently or maybe like well maybe this is not such a good thing right. um and and that that definitely happens in Heather's and that definitely happens in um, Massacre at Central High. But like you say, Heather's knows what it's doing with that sympathy shift and is knows what the character is. The character doesn't really change. Like Christian Slater's character doesn't really change. Right. He just becomes kind of more focused on the murder that he wants to commit. Um Whereas it feels like, you know, there's supposed to be this shift with David's character, right? And and weirdly enough, for the guy who's kind of supposed to be the, the central, the protagonist, for, for lack of any better term, um, it stops focusing on him once you get that, like, his injury and, you know, and I swear mm -hmm. to God, he limps on a different leg. Oh, yes. In totally. Several different he scenes. keeps switching legs. He keeps. OK, good. I was just like, is this <laughs> was I wrong? I swear to God, he does it in a scene. Yeah. As he's walking at <laughs> one point. And I'm like, can you please decide which leg you crushed? And just I kind choose of one <laughs> like part of me. And this is not me trying to like figure out how to make this work because I do think that they just screwed that up but part of me was like thinking for a minute was he is it supposed to be that he was injured on both legs you really can only limp one one time once at a, you know on one leg at a time but no I I don't <laughs> I think they just yeah <laughs> I think they they needed they clearly needed a script supervisor to pay attention to those <laughs> kinds of things and they did not have that I do. I do give him credit, though. He uh, he manages to go down those stairs on one foot really yeah. quickly. Yeah. Like there. I was just like, that is impressive that he did not just face plant. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm you know, I, I give I give him credit on that. But but that's that's the thing. The 
that sympathy shift, which really should happen, right, in the middle of the film, never completely happens because he's not a very well-realized character. Yeah. And you've got this, like, undercurrent of, you know, him him talking about, oh, where, you know, where do you put your anger, right? And just like, well, I run. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, he's like maybe this very angry guy, but he gets it out through physical activity. And then when he's injured, he can no longer do that. And so he it, it he turns to much darker things. But it's never followed through on. It's never like, oh, let's actually look at the psychology of this dude. It's just like, oh, David's like a serial killer now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And very good. And a bomb expert, you know, like. <laughs> Props to David on that. He's just learning learning things. Yeah, I want to know the real reason he <laughs> left his last high school. Seriously. <laughs> oh, goodness. Any other thoughts about Massacre at Central High? It's it's a mess. I did enjoy watching it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Like, once it kind of got to the... There are a couple of points where I was just like, this is just gratuitous. Why, why are we going to have this, like, attempted rape scene in the middle of this movie? Um, although I, again, I have to say that uh, what's her name's reaction to it is quite, quite fascinating. <laughs> I think it's Teresa. Yeah. Um, she like goes to the room and sits down to watch them. And it's like, what is happening in I this know. movie? What is going on here? I don't, I don't know. Understand. I don't, I don't know how it. to deal with this. And that's the point at which I was like, okay, David might be the only sane one in this entire group where he's like, hey, stop that. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just yeah it, <laughs> it is it's kind of interesting as sort of a curiosity and and maybe its influence on later better films but yeah. that's that's pretty much it yeah it's I'm definitely concerned. worth your time to watch it but don't expect a sharp political allegory <laughs> and people mm. just blowing up like Looney Tunes characters like <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah so fun uh okay so from the 70 from 1976 we jump forward 20 years to 1996 with um with the craft which is a movie i first saw in 1996 and watched again yesterday (laughs) uh i i it's i i don't know why i wasn't I don't know. I just had never gotten around to watching it again. I liked it when I saw it. It wasn't like, ew, I hate that movie. I don't want to watch it again. It was just, I, I don't know. I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I haven't sat down and watched it start to finish since, you know, mm-hmm. like the theater. So anyway, um, The Craft stars Robin Tunney as a new girl in town. She's uh, just, I think her dad, her parents like just, moved her dad relocated his job or something and so uh she's new to it's like this whole thing with kids being new to the school um uh, so she starts at a catholic school and um pretty immediately meets three girls that are played by rachel true nev campbell and feruza balk um and that was something i had completely forgotten before I started rewatching this was like, I totally forgot Nev Campbell and Ski Ulrich are in this movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I had completely forgotten because <laughs> I just associate them with scream. I forgot Nev Campbell had done another high school horror movie. So yeah. Fair, fairly close to scream too, isn't it? Yeah. 
Scream yeah. is like nine, 97, something like that, 98? Uh, the first Scream, I think, was 96. Really? So it's the same year. Now I gotta look. <laughs> uh, yeah, 96. They both came out in 96. I wow. think Scream was in December. So um, something like that. So the craft would have come out first. And then mm-hmm. that's probably why I don't remember, because then Scream came out and it was like all about Sydney Prescott. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Um, so what what are some of the things that, that draw you to the craft? What are some things you, you like about this movie? Well, I I saw the craft um, for the first time. I did not see it when it came out. I remember in like middle school and high school people like it being one of those things that kind of lingered in the back of my mind is as like, oh, it's the goth kids. Right. Um, and and then it just like completely, completely forgot about it. And so the first time I watched it was actually just a couple of years ago. Uh, so I have I have a more immediate experience of it. I it's a really interesting film in a lot of ways, and I I do think it's a very imperfect film, but it it does get at um, that that high school high school clickishness and bullying, and particularly through the eyes of these girls, right? And so you very much again, you know, talking about middle of the film or or third act switches you very much sympathize with them for most of the film. Um, and, and it is that kind of like, you know, that's that, like, like we said earlier, that high school fantasy of these people were mean to me. I want to get back at them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course it begins to spiral outward from that because you can't take on that kind of power uh, without paying something for it. As so many of these films tell us. Um, but it does kind of highlight, you know, how, how nasty people can be in high school and how you want to sort of push back against that. And all of the girls, I think, do a really good job of, of playing their characters. I mean, Farisha Balk is like the standout. I think that she she was kind of the one who got a lot of the, the attention, even more so than Robin Tunney, because she was just this very fascinating, highly on edge character that you just say, oh, it's just going to take a little tiny push to send her absolutely bonkers. And she goes bonkers really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's a very entertaining film, I think. I do think that it's disappointing in some ways because there's a that shift happens and it stops being fun, but it also stops being cohesive. It's like there is a scene missing somewhere in the midst of all of this. That, you know, you go from like this, this coven, right, who are gaining all of these powers. And then suddenly we're, we really need to care about Robin and we really need to care about her asshole, not really boyfriend who, you know, dies partway through the film. Um, and we're supposed to give a shit about him. And I'm just like, I no, I don't really, actually. I think that he deserved it. <laughs> I mean, he did try to rape her. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's where the film, like, that's the point at which I think the film begins losing it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it loses some of some of its cohesiveness because there's even one point where the Robin Tunney character says, oh, I think he was actually probably a nice guy underneath it all. I just like, no, he wasn't at no point throughout this entire fucking movie. Has he shown himself to be actually a nice guy at all? Right. He's been an asshole the entire time, even when he's like, 
bewitched and obsessed with you. He's still an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, he doesn't just... even turn into a nice guy. No, never at any bewitched. point. Never at any point. Um, and I think that's one of the things where I think that it, so it's tricky. I don't like we we've talked about this a lot. I don't think that every movie about you know female protagonists needs to automatically be written and directed by women. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and I do think there are lots of male directors, male story writers who do a good job of depicting women, depicting their experiences. And I think that a lot of the craft does do a good job of like really communicating that that um kind of tumultuous relationship between teenage girls um the ups and downs of it the the complicated nature of that of that relationship but i think also there are certain choices made particularly in relation to robin tunney's sarah and ski ulrich's chris i think that with a woman writing this story directing this movie that would have played out much differently and I don't think that at mm-hmm. any point, like it would have been more focused on trying to make him pay rather than um, trying to like mentally rehabilitate his his image, you know, which is basically what Sarah does when she says, yeah. oh, I think deep down he was really nice and she wants him to be obsessed with her. It's like, I would want that guy to be the fuck away from me and every other girl. You know, like if I was going to bewitch him, it wouldn't be to make him love me and be nice to me. It would be to make him do things to make up for his shitty behavior. And this is very much a male, like male fantasy storytelling by having it focused that way. And yeah, and I, I think that that's one of the problems with the film is that it does some things very, very well. And I do, I do, I agree with you. I think that it gets at kind of the the clickishness relationship between girls at that age, um, and particularly in a space where it this is it's this is represented as being a very clickish high school, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got like very insular groups, and Sarah, when she's initially introduced, is kind of outside of all of that. She could probably fall into a whole bunch of different groups if she wanted to. And she winds up falling into this group with these girls and really finding a camaraderie and friendship, et cetera, with them um, and power. And, and that's that's the thing. And so they begin dressing, you know, in the cool goth outfits and and all of that. But people still are kind of frightened of them. They think that they're they're creepy and and things like that. And so I think that the film does that element really well. But it's like it it's like it introduces all of these elements of like female power and the power of women and girls in particular, like hormonal girls, 16, 17 year old girls together mm-hmm. and the way in which they can really cause a lot of havoc, but also be very supportive and very intensely related to each other. And it's like it goes so far down that road and then it's suddenly like, oh, this is really scary. Like, I really don't like this. It it does feel very male at a certain point. I'm like, I don't like the idea of girls ganging up on me, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it has to punish them. And it has to kind of separate them and say, like, okay, the good girl, the one who is the the least kind of invested in all of this, um, the good witch, as it were, has to in some way stop the the bad evil witches and break up the coven and all of that stuff. And yeah, it, it just, it seems to lose its way in that third act. And it, it's around about the time where 
Chris attempts to to rape Sarah and then the reaction of all of the girls. And one of the most interesting, I think, scenes actually is the the reaction of the Fruisha Ball character. I'm trying to remember her name. Nancy. Um, Nancy. Yeah, Nancy. So her response, there's been this whole thing about like she's a little bit jealous of Sarah. And there's been this undercurrent that like she she's into Chris or she's had a relationship with Chris and he's kind of thrown her over. Right. But that's not the way. And I've now seen this film a couple of times. That is not the way I read her reaction when Sarah tells them what happened. Mm -hmm. Her reaction seems to be, fuck that guy. Like, I'm going to fuck him up. Yeah. And it's very much the reaction of a girl when you find out that one of your friends has been hurt. And you're just like, I'm going to ruin his life. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, maybe that's giving Nancy's character a little too much credit, but that's kind of where she's the direction that she's going in. Like she is screwing up all kinds of shit for him to the point of like actually trying to kill him. Right. Right. And and it doesn't feel like it's self-serving to her. It feels like like you've messed with one of my friends. Now I'm going to destroy your life. Mm hmm. Yeah, that was my impression. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think that. So I, I feel like out of all of the characters in this movie, Nancy is the one that feels the most honest and realistic. Um, and and she's also very much the most interesting too and that's major credit to Farisha mm -hmm. Balk um but also I think that she is a well-written character I mean this is a girl who doesn't have the same things that the rest of the kids in the school have she lives in um she lives in uh you know not a nice house she has you know bad family dynamics um she just has a lot rougher you know rougher life and um, so when she has this friend who has more and, and has, you know, parents, even though it's her stepmother, but it's her stepmother who's been here her whole life. Like she has parents who obviously care, even though true to the horror high school movie thing, like their parents are not really around. Um, but the, there's just so much about Sarah's life that Nancy craves. And yet she also is still able to see a little bit of like where it's not perfect and it's not happy. And so it's not, I feel like it's not just about Nancy trying to, or Nancy being jealous of what Sarah has to the point of like wanting it. Um, she also is still capable of seeing that Nancy there, that Sarah's life isn't perfect, that, that there are cracks in it, mm -hmm. that there are things that are not something that you would covet. And that I think is part of why she's such an interesting character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's, she's kind of, and again, I think that that's why the third act bothers me a bit mm -hmm. because she's sort of pushed into this role as, as the antagonist yeah. when she's not really like, and, and it is that, that conflict that I think develops between someone who is, who is jealous, but is, but also does begin to care about the person like there's there's kind of a back and forth going on that this is a girl who's been bullied she's been mistreated she's in a a space that she's just not not happy she doesn't have a great life right. and and she's looking for a way to you know a way to gain power 
and and a, a way to like actually gain some degree of control over her own existence. And then that's that can go many different ways. And I, I understand why the film goes in the direction that it does. But I just feel like it's a disservice. I think it could have been complicated more. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I think that like the final conflict between them can absolutely happen, but it didn't not it does not need to happen in the way that it does. Yeah. And I think that's where your point about it feels like there's something missing. There's a connective scene missing that could really make it more clear why it escalates to the point that it does rather than going a different direction. Well, and it would have been nice to see also more development of the Nev Campbell and um, uh, Rachel True characters, because Mm -hmm. again, they're, they're sort of set up. And so you've got the, and again, I'm bothered a little bit by asking to feel sympathy for the racist girl. Yeah. <laughs> who says all of these, this nasty shit. And the worst thing that happens to her, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing, but the worst thing that happens to her is that she loses her hair. Right. Like that's what happens, right? She's not killed. No mm-hmm. one murders her. Yeah. No one like, you know, tortures her or anything like that. And, and it's this kind of karmic element to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and yet we're still, it's the, we're still supposed to feel almost more sympathy for her than we are for this, this black girl who, as far as I could tell, is one of the only black girls in the entire school. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she bullied, is the only, yeah. Who's been bullied and it's implied has been bullied for a very long time right? by this girl. And so I, again, I think that what the film is trying to do is to sort of say, you know, if you begin bullying, you become the bully kind of thing but it's kind of going about it in a way that becomes a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a under- similar misstep to, although very different, and this is a much better movie, but it takes a similar misstep to Massacre at Central High, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it, it doesn't, I don't know, it, does, it doesn't treat some of its secondary characters as people, I guess. Mm-hmm. As, and and again, I think that you can make those sorts of elements come, like complicate those elements, right? Make those themes really come out more that maybe I don't really want violent vengeance on my bullies. Right. I mean, that's not actually something that I want. And I think that that's the direction that the film is going, but it, you can do it in a much more complicated way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the film, again, misses a step there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But any other thoughts about the craft? It's a good film. You know, it's one of those films that was so influential on kind of high school culture in the nineties and the aughts. Um, almost, almost like external to its actual subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I remember pe- people talking about Farusha Balk and like just her being this, this ideal of, uh, of, you know, some of the goth and emo kids and it's just like, okay, but you know what happens to her, right? Like, you you know what happens in the movie. She's not the, the good guy, really. Right. Um, but it, it has taken on this kind of cult status that seems to have, seems to exceed the qualities of the film itself, which says something about the film. It says that it spoke to people in a, in a, a very 
clear and definite way. And it is it is a lot of fun, like third act notwithstanding. It's it's a very well done film. I enjoy watching. One of my favorite scenes actually is the um, light as a feather, stiff as a board. scene. Yeah. <laughs> because I remember playing that uh-huh. in, like and but yes, teenage girls are always one step away from being witches. Like I am absolutely convinced of that. Yeah, um, totally. I remember playing that and I remember doing the whole, whole thing. Like, yeah, it's it, it's very satisfying that scene. <laughs> yeah, well, and I love how uh, Rachel True is the character. Rochelle, she's the one who's who's laying there. And I love when she's just like, guys, nothing's happening. This isn't working. And then it pulls back and she's like three feet off the ground. She has yeah. no idea. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's that's another thing I just enjoy overall about the craft is these teenage girls who really crave this power, partly because of how powerless they feel in their life, but they do not understand what they're getting into. They don't understand fully what they're yeah. what they're what it is that they're asking for. And even when they have that conversation with the the lady at the store who's explaining things like yeah, you're going to get it back threefold, whatever you do to somebody else. And it's like, because they haven't experienced that, they don't understand really what that means until it starts to happen. And so I like how it's, it's this kind of a, it kind of does a double coming of age because they're teenagers that are Mm -hmm. learning how to manage certain relationships and, and, um, environments, but also they have this, they're they're They have this inherent, which, um, traits at least you know sarah specifically has this clearly in her blood and tapping into that and like learning really what it means and and what this power is and and how to wield it properly um Mm -hmm. is part of what just makes it just so so fun and so watchable yeah definitely i i I did want the the witchy woman at the store to be like i'm not gonna sell you some of this shit yeah yeah (laughs) like at least be like you know what you're gonna have to like actually steal it from me because no this is a bad idea stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) like uh uh-uh yeah i'm not gonna give that to you older witches are supposed to do that you're supposed to be like no maybe not maybe Mm -hmm. we won't we won't start summoning weird powers right now Yep. Like, let's learn a little bit about the work that we're doing first. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Now, I think uh, if this movie were now, she'd be like, you guys need to sign up for my class first and listen to my <laughs> podcast, and then I will consider it. <laughs> uh, this is what it is important to have strong female role models in yes, your life. Exactly. Especially when you're dabbling in the dark arts. To teach you how to be a witch. <laughs> like... Oh, so fun. Uh, Yeah. All right. So then our final movie today is I Know What You Did Last Summer, which came out just the next year, 1997, which is co-written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream. Um, And uh, it was directed by Jim Gillespie. And in this one, this uh, this is kind of an urban legend sort of movie because this this takes the story of the hook wielding killer who's out killing people in the middle of the night and uh but brings it to the seaside fishing town and um uh what happens for anybody who needs their memory refreshed um is basically you've got these four friends um played by jennifer love hewitt sarah michelle geller ryan Phillippe, and freddie prince jr and really it's two couples (laughs) 
<laughs> such a weird combination of people. <laughs> it's not though. It's, it's not, not for it's the nineties. Like so nineteen ninety seven. Like just you, just listening to you list that cast, just like it's the most nineties movie. Are so Sarah 90s. and Freddie still married? I know they I split so. up at one point, but I don't think they got divorced. I, I I think that they're still married. The the last I did check that, and they're still listed like on IMDb or whatever as being married. So oh yeah, then they know. must be. Which I, good for them. That means they've been together over twenty years. That's that's awesome. I'm happy <laughs> for them. That's wonderful. But um, but yeah. So basically, they're out. It's the Fourth of July. This movie technically wouldn't be a high school movie because they just graduated from high school, presumably about three weeks ago. <laughs> so, um. But, you know, they're still, they're still, they're fresh out of high school. So they're 18 and dumb. They are very 18 and very dumb. And uh, they're out celebrating. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character has just won the the local pageant. So she's like a beauty queen. And her boyfriend gets really drunk and refuses to give up the keys to his car until he finally kind of has to. Anyway, they end up killing somebody and hiding the body and then the next year someone knows what they did and chaos ensues in the form of a fisherman wielding a hook <laughs> there's just such a fun like like this has such a fun cast and hash is in it mm-hmm. um uh johnny galecki <laughs> bridget wilson <laughs> um little johnny galecki i was like yeah. oh he's in this i forgot that <laughs> and he's oh. an asshole <laughs> He starts off seeming so nice and then it's like, nope, he's he's kind of an asshole. So anyway, uh, yeah, so you love I know what you did last summer. I mean, I enjoy it too, but I feel I, like you love this movie. I I I love yes, I enjoy it. I think that so last last year at some point I was like, I'm gonna watch a bunch of 90s slashers. I don't know why. I was just like, I just need to watch 90s slashers. So I watched I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. <laughs> I watched like the Urban I'll Legend. I always know what you did last summer. I did not watch that one. I, I will admit <laughs> that. Um, Urban Legend. Um, I think it was like, what, my Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Maybe not my Bloody Valentine. Whatever. The Prom Valentine's night? Day. Prom night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I. I watched a whole bunch of those. <laughs> In other words, nice. these like this little subgenre of 90s slasher films. Um and I think that I know what you did last summer is kind of like the the little the little brother or little sister to scream, right? It's not as arch and meta, obviously. I don't think it's as good a film as Scream, but it's very 90s. It's it's very like it brings that entertainment value, I think. Um, and, you know, talking about a film like, you know, Massacre is Central High, which is trying to do so much and doesn't do any of it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know what you did last summer knows exactly what it is doing and accomplishes it. It's yeah. meant to be kind of a hokey 90s slasher movie that is based on this this urban legend. You've got those conversations about like, no, it's this it's the guy with the hook for a hand. No, it's not a guy with the hook for a hand. It's it's the guy. It's an escaped mental patient who steals this, <laughs> like that entire conversation, which is very Kevin Williamson is very scream, right? Um, but it kind of prepares you and it sort of lets you know that like this is this is an entertainment. Yeah, um, we're gonna watch a bunch of high school kids die, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And and it does it in a really enjoyable and entertaining, entertaining way, I think. Um and and has a satisfying conclusion, more or less, leads you down some blind alleys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and has some very effective kills without really going overboard or spending too much time on the blood and gore, um, but like actually actually creating a really good sense of suspense, etc. So it's a very just enjoyable, straightforward '90s slasher film. There's also not as much death as I thought there was. Like it's been a while since I've watched it. I've seen it a bunch of times, um, but when I was rewatching it this last week or so, I was like, oh, I I feel like more people died in this movie than actually did so um but uh but i think that each kill is so like it because it's not like just a you know death every five minutes it's like when there are death scenes it really is just like yeah this is awesome well and it builds up the suspense as well there's a lot of like the killer targeting them without Mm -hmm. necessarily killing them initially right right so part of playing with them yeah, it's that, that creation of tension and the creation of fear without necessarily going all the way to to kill them. Because the killer isn't, it's not like Scream where the killer kind of just wants to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's it's the killer is killing them for a very specific reason. Yeah, it's a revenge movie. And is not out after a hundred different people. He's out after these, particularly these four kids. Um, and then also anybody who kind of gets in his way or might have been present. Yeah. Um, and and I do, I do think that in terms of realism, the conversation when they actually hit the guy, mm-hmm. the entire conversation that they go through is a compendium of these are the worst possible decisions you can make. Right. But it's a very realistic conversation in a lot of ways, especially given all of the establishment of the different characters, their different concerns and desires, their fears about what is going to happen to them. Um, and they make, and their ages, right? So they're supposed to be 17, 18 years old. Right. Uh, and they make very bad choices, but very realistic bad choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're all about to go off and start their lives. They're all planning on leaving this town. And um, they, you know, they have... They have places that they're going and um, and this this incident, this accident, um, because it is an accident. They didn't intend to murder anybody. The guy was in the street. He really did come out of nowhere. And uh, the only the only reason that they wouldn't call the police that they are in as much trouble as they're in is because Barry had been drinking and it's his car and nobody drives my car but me and everybody knows that. So they're going to assume I was driving even though I wasn't. Like there's you can yeah, you can definitely see how these very young people would go down this rabbit hole of like, I can't tell the truth to the authorities because this is going to ruin my entire life and my whole future. And but what I think is good is that as they're making this decision, you know that they all know that it's wrong and they kind of have that sense, but they're just kind of we're going to do this anyway because this is what we need to do for us we can't change the fact that this guy's dead so why ruin our lives too but they definitely have feelings about that and then seeing the way especially julie the jennifer love hewitt character the way that a year later um how much this has affected her how much this clearly affected helen too um who went off to new york and and didn't make it and was washed up before her 19th birthday um you know and how how this this trauma did ultimately 
in some ways ruin all of their lives anyway. The thing that they were Mm -hmm. trying to avoid still happened. And now it's further complicated by the fact that someone knows what they did and someone is trying to kill them. Yeah, it's very much a good example of of uh, trauma of horror as trauma, mm-hmm. so or trauma as horror. So like it's this buried trauma that they all agree like we're going to keep this secret. Yeah, and um and we're going to bury, we're going to push it down, we're not going to talk about it, and then it comes out in oh. in the the form of the killer, right? right. And it, in the case of this this film, this isn't a supernatural killer. This is a literal slasher, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But at the same time, definitely from a from a, a meta narrational perspective, it's exactly that. It's their trauma that they've tried to suppress and that has affected them, and that they can't really suppress. They can't suppress the trauma. They can't suppress the guilt of what they've done. Um, and the only way to kind of absolve themselves at some level is that they actually have to confront the the person that they murdered, supposedly. Right uh and and it you know kind of admit to it but then there's throughout the entire film there's this argument about like what do we do we can't so it it sets it up really well too they can't really go to the police right because if they go to the police well why why do you think that someone's after you well yeah we murdered a guy last year right um and and so it just turns into this thing that spirals and uh and works really, really effectively as a slasher film and, and really effectively as a horror film. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And all of this works pretty well as long as you don't overthink it. Yes. True. <laughs> because there are certain things where I'm like, um, okay, I know that I'm not from a coastal fishing village, but I know enough and I've watched enough Deadliest Catch to know that all those folks know each other. And there's no way <laughs> that Ray and Barry, who spend time working at the docks, wouldn't know the story about Benjamin Willis and, and David Egan and all that. It's also a small town. They, there's no way, especially when they when Julie and Helen go to to David's house and meet his sister. And she's like, oh, it was all everybody talked about. It's like, okay, no, they were in high school, but this is a small town. If it was all everybody talked about, then they would have known about David and Susie. They would have known (laughs) what happened. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's, I think, I think what makes this such a, a lesser film in a lot of ways is exactly that. Like you can't, you can't pay too close attention to it. Right. If you pay too close attention to it, you see the holes almost immediately. And yeah. even like, you know, I, I've seen this film a couple of times now, rewatching it this time. I was just like, I'd completely forgotten that this was what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I realized that the the you know story of the killer and the history behind and like what actually happened and all of that. I was like, oh yeah, that was stupid. <laughs> like and and it is stupid. It, it It is. It's definitely, I think it's definitely in the vein of, of kind of the, those 1970s, 1980s slasher films like Prom Night or yeah. um, uh, was there, there's another one that's I think set on New Year's Eve. Uh, I can't remember it right now, but it's, the, uh, it's like a New Year's Eve terror train or something like that. Um, but it's similar to that where the backstories are very, wobbly <laughs> and the the like the the motivation of the killer when it's revealed is just like well that's dumb <laughs> yeah yeah so it's it yeah you can't think too deeply about it but it is still very entertaining it's still got some great 
not just kill scenes, but there's some really good um, um, just tension. Like when Helen comes home and you know that the killer is in her house and like her dad is there or whatever. And her sister, she Mm -hmm. goes upstairs to her room and you're like, no, the killer's there. He's going to get you. And when she wakes up in the morning, she's not dead she's she's still alive but all of her hair has been cut off and it's like her one thing that she's so obsessed with and that's mm-hmm. what he takes away from her first you know and and like that's just such a great scene because that's not what you think is about to happen there's a couple of fake outs where you think someone's about to die but instead something horrible happens to them that that really affects them personally before they end up getting killed later yeah it's the that like like you said, it's that that creation of tension and um and the fact that there aren't actually that many deaths in a film that's a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to know how the killer got the body and the crabs out of the trunk. Yeah, that quickly without anybody <laughs> seeing them, without anyone seeing there. That's the thing. There are times where I'm like, but ha- did no one notice? Like, mm-hmm. be- like there was just no one around at, at that moment. That was a lot of crabs. It's <laughs> a lot of crabs. <laughs> And then it makes you wonder, maybe, possibly, they were never there in the first place. And that's just her trauma. I mean, it's true. It's, yeah. Well, and and it's also that element that in uh, in the best slasher films do kind of create the, the sensation of a killer who is supernatural. That, mm-hmm. like, there's a supernatural element to them, even though they're a real person. Right. Um, and you get that in Halloween, especially. But, um, but even in Scream, like, there are elements of that in Scream where you're like, how is the killer able to do what he does? And of course, we know why we find right. out why at the end. Um, but it's that little little element of tension of like, is this actually like a real person or is this a fucking ghost? Because if mm-hmm. it's a ghost, we are in deep shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that changes everything. <laughs> and I also have to say, I love the fact that then they did. I still know what you did last summer and it like takes place in the Bahamas or something like that. <laughs> During a hurricane. And there's, and there's a hurricane and Brandy is there and it's, it's not <laughs> as good a film definitely, but that's another one that I'm like, this is just, I am just delighted by how silly this is. Oh yeah, for sure. So much fun. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's about it. Any other things you wanted to say about this movie or any, anything about high school horror in general? I think that high school is a terrifying time. I am glad I, I actually had a pretty good time in high school, but I'm glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> uh, it's a, I mean, there are a lot of good films, I think, in this, in this subgenre. I believe all of the films that we, we talked about have been on um, the Criterion channel. I know that The Craft is also on um, Hulu, and I believe that I know what you did last summer is on HBO Max or something like that. Um, so they are available to watch. If you haven't seen them, like if you haven't seen these films, definitely watch them. Like they're they're quite seminal movies. Maybe not Massacre Central High. Like I I find it very difficult to recommend that film. If you're interested in just in seeing a proto Heather's, like maybe. But I think yeah, for <laughs> how influential it is, it's worth your time to watch it. But but if you are going to, just know that we're not recommending this as like a great movie or a great example of the genre. Just more of like watch what influenced the good things that you like it's it's definitely one of those films that that like it would have been recommended in film school as like viewing Mm -hmm. and understand it's 
in some ways it might be an important film in terms of the horror genre, but it is it is not a good film in terms of the horror genre. Right. Right. Yeah. Ugh. But it's entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> Almost it is, accidentally. It, it is it is accidentally very hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, that is going to wrap things up then for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We are so excited for our spooky movie month. So we're going to be talking more witches, vampires, all kinds of stuff. It's going to be a good, it's going to be a good October. Um, But before we get to that, there's other ways that you can, can follow along with what we have been doing, what we are doing. And, um, of course, the best way to to follow us is to become a subscriber and then you get access to our bonus episodes. We actually just recorded a bonus episode of Haunting in Venice, which will be out by the time you're listening to this. So, um, But that's for patrons. So if you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com and uh, slash citizen dame. Sorry, patreon.com slash citizen dame and sign up and then you can join the ranks of Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Judy, Karen, Cariata, Lauren, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. And um, and doing so does get you those bonus episodes, like I mentioned. It gets you early access to the show, but it also just gives you the knowledge that you are helping keep feminist film criticism in the world. So that's what we like to do. Um, you can also support the store, support the show in a couple of other ways. We have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and our ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. If you want to know more of what we're up to and read some of our work, you can go to citizendamepod.com and you can contact us. If you want to join the conversation, add things, let us know what you're uh, what you're thinking about if you have recommendations of movies you'd like us to consider talking about you can email us citizendamepod at gmail.com and you can reach out to us on all the social medias we're on twitter instagram and blue sky at citizendamepod and we are especially on letterboxd these days at citizendame we are a letterboxd hq and that means that we get to share all kinds of extra stuff um, so if you're on letterboxd definitely go over there and give us a follow. And if you're not on Letterboxd, you should check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's a great, great place for people who like movies. You can also reach us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am on all of the various socials uh, at LH Business. And I am as well, especially uh, Letterboxd and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Don't even. He was there, goddammit, and he was wearing your jacket, Barry. Where'd he go? Did the crabs carry him away? I, I swear to God. I believe in you. He took the body. He came here. He took the body. Why would he do that? I don't know, Barry. Okay, why would he try to run you over? Why did he make coleslaw on Helen's head? He's fucking with us. Come on, Julie. Let's go back to the house. Where's your jacket, Barry? Don't you see? He's got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. He's just out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for, huh?